0: Good morning. It's good to be with you today. Again, my second service. And it's, uh, I, I failed to mention last time, thank you very much for supporting us, by the way. You're one of the first ones to get on board to support what we're doing. I'm really excited what God has in store for us. We're already doing it. Um, we're just now doing it full-time, helping people in the ministry. Um, let me just say how much I appreciate your pastor. Pastor Doug and I go back a long, long ways. Um, I mentioned earlier that when he left Horseheads to come into the district office, as our, our district youth guy at the time, um, I was just coming into the section as pastor in Penyan, New York, as he was leaving Horseheads. So we kind of we crossed paths. I saw him at one fellowship meeting, and I didn't see him again until he went to the district office. So um, we go back quite a ways, and he's been a great friend ever since. Um, I used to have him out when I was pastor at Penneyan every year. I'd have him out in the fall right around hunting season, I had to take him out of the woods, broke his heart, but I had a lot of hunters in Penyan and I'm not one, so it was always nice to have him come out, and he would tell his stories, and I just loved him a lot to hear his stories, and, and uh, he said, this is the only church in Pen Yan, the only church I've ever gone to where while I'm preaching, literally, he was, look out the window across the road, we had, there was cow fields, a cow was giving birth, he said, I've never seen that anywhere else in my travels, so, um, I really, really love your pastor, he and his wife are wonderful people, been uh, good friends over the years to us uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, one year he came out and invited him out to speak which was again a normal thing and uh, I introduced him he came up and he gave his introductory remarks and that kind of thing and, and then uh, I was sitting right in the front row with my wife and he said today I'm here for you and he pointed to me and I was like and he proceeded to do a whole message about how much he appreciated me and ways he appreciated me the things he saw in my life, I was a mess. I was just crying my eyes out. It was just, um, that's that's how much uh, how dear he is to me. He's such a good friend, and he's a good man. And you're blessed to have him here. And I uh, suppose I don't need to tell you that, but I just want to let you know, uh, I, I uh, share your heart with that. He's a good, 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 good guy. So you're blessed. Um, let me get a little, little background on. Uh, uh, what it is that my wife and I are doing to explain. its Listen to somebody else explain it as you are were trying to do it. It's a very broad thing, and it's meant to be broad because it's a, it's a ministry of caregiving to people who are in the ministry. It's about being a friend to those who are giving away their lives for other people. It's answering the question, who gives care to the caregiver? You know, who helps the helper? And um, when we went through our crisis, and I'll share that in a minute, we didn't. We didn't feel like we had anybody to go to. Now there may have been, but we felt like there wasn't. And there certainly wasn't something like what we are doing out there. So that's what we're hoping to make a difference. My wife and I began our relationship in Bible school. We met uh, in 1983. She was from Canada, so you say hi, honey. This is my wife, Twyla. She doesn't like to be out in front of people, so I do this part of it, but. She is a gifted natural counselor. She hasn't had much training, but she's just gifted at it. She hears people say all the time, Excuse me, I'm just getting over a chest cold, so if I sound a little wheezy, that's why. Um, she has people say to her all the time, I've never said this to anybody, but... And she'll share it with them. So she's very gifted in that way. So we began to get know each other in, in uh, Zion Bible Institute. If anybody knows where that is, it's no longer there. It's no longer <laughs> Zion, but anyway. It's now North Point, but Anyway. Uh, We met there and began to get to know each other and kind of fell in love pretty quickly and finished our time in Zion, got married, went on to Valley Forge so I could finish my degree, and then came back home. I'm a New Yorker, uh, born and bred, uh, New York Assembly of God, AG. My parents were saved in Geneva Assembly of God, where then they they conceived me, and I was born, youngest of six. And uh, It's interesting to note, they got saved in Geneva Assembly of God, and then years later, I was born there, years later, that was my first place of ministry as a youth pastor, so my life has been kind of full circle, Um, so we began to get to know each other, fell in love and all that stuff, and uh, in in the course of time, after we finished Valley Forge, we went back home, back to my home, back to uh, Waterloo, New York, my father was pretty ill, he had had a severe heart attack, so we went to to be with him and to help him during his last years, and um, during that time, we had a couple of kids during that time, and I became a youth pastor at Geneva Assembly of God for eight years. I served there and um, figured I would always do that all my life. That's what I wanted to do. And uh, God had other plans. During our time there, uh, long about year seven, I felt a change in my heart and uh, started feeling like it's time to do something else. So my wife said, well, why don't you, you know, put in your, your resume to the district and see what happens. Okay. So they... Um, They got my resume, and I got a call and said, would you be interested in filling in at peniana somebody got? And I was just itching to leave and preach more and and that kind of thing, so I said, sure, yeah, I'll go. So we went down there. This was in 1995. And we met the pastor who was his last Sunday. He introduced me to the folks, and they began to ask me questions, weird questions I didn't know how to answer. I thought I was just filling in, and they were like, how soon are you moving out in the parsonage, and, you know, are you going to have to work another job? And I'm like, uh, I was trying to answer their question so the pastor finally said, "Well, we were told you were the new pastor." I was like, "Oh, well, that's news to me." So he he took my wife and I to the parsonage. He showed us the parsonage and everything. We were living in a two-bedroom apartment, so here was a whole house we could live in. Uh, we had two kids at that point. And uh so he left us standing on the front lawn, I'm not exaggerating. He left me the, the checkbook for the church, the membership roll book, the keys to the parsonage and the storefront they were li- they were using. They had eight people at the time. I was holding these things in my hand. He drove away. I learned my wife said, what just happened? So we were the pastors. And uh, we lived about 40 miles away at the time. So we started uh, September 1995 ministering to the eight people that God had given us in a storefront. And um, I never did ask formal permission to move into the parsonage. We just did. Don't tell the district. And uh, we just began to minister to those folks who were there. and Just love on them, and we were there for 22 years, uh, which is getting rare these days in ministry to be anywhere for 22 years. Uh, during that course of time, uh, we had our third and fourth children. Our thir- third child was in 1997, our daughter. Uh, my wife went into a severe depression at that point, and uh, she would s- describe it as uh, a black hole. You're spiraling down, and you just feel so depressed. Anybody who's been through it, you know what I'm talking about exactly. Uh, I've never gone through that myself, but I've heard that description many, many times. She would um, be in bed, and she'd go from bed to her job. She does bookkeeping work. She's very good at that. And she'd come back home and go back to bed. So that was our existence. We were homeschooling two children at that point. We had a new baby and, um, you know, trying to grow a church, all that good stuff. Um. so it was, it was stressful, but we were managing, I guess is the best word to use, getting by and doing life. And um, in ministry, anybody who's in ministry here, you know when your own stuff, when it comes time to ministry, you put it in the back shelf and you do what you got to do. You know, that's just the way ministry works. So that's kind of the way it was. So then eight years later, yes, I said eight years later, we had another child, our last child, our fourth child. And um, my wife had somewhat worked through the first depression, but she went to another depression. Both of those, of course, were postpartum in nature that brought them on. And then uh, this depression was different. Um, she felt very tormented. She was very angry. She was angry at me, angry at God, angry at everybody, everything. And um, so things went from bad to worse. It's absolutely horrible in our marriage. And it wasn't. Gr- it wasn't all at once. It was gradual. Things began to decline and, and got 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 worse and worse as time went on and and then on top of that so we're homeschooling our children as well I'm I'm doing that Uh, we're ministering to a growing church we had finally bought a building of our own after five years of being nomads we bought a building we're there for a couple of years I said God how should we reach our community what's the strategy for reaching our community what do you want us to do and God said build another building I said I don't want to do that you're not listening he said, build another building. And I pushed it away for a few months, and I thought, no, 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 that can't be. It can't be right. That's just me. So finally I thought, well, I'll tell my board. They'll shoot it down, that'll be that. Because we would just been in our new building for a couple of years, but we were packing it out. It was less than 100 seats in it, it's just a small building. And uh, I told him. I said, here's what I felt like. And they said, that's God, Pastor. We need to do it. And I'm like, oh, you're crazy too. I said, all right. Well, so we began to put together a, a building committee. Uh, we were blessed with men to do the work, and we end up doing probably 85% of the work ourselves. And so there's a building there, the glory of God, that is, is, is now ministering to the community in Penyan. Um, was it wasn't my vision. It was God's vision. And uh, so during that whole time, we're doing that. All right, we broke ground in 2006 to do that, working with the building committee. I became presbyter right around that same time. I was presbyter for six years. So now I'm involved in presbytery responsibilities. So all this is going on. I'm homeschooling our children. My wife's working uh, her jobs. And we're at the absolute worst place in our life and in our marriage. Horrible. Let me just say this side note. During our time in ministry, I never hid it from our, our congregation ever. I was very transparent about we were going through a difficult time. And I would tell them, the reason I want you to know it is because when we get on the side of this, it's going to give you hope. And that became true for, for folks in our congregation. Anyway, we went through this difficult season <coughs> where I was crying a lot. I'd cry myself to bed. Uh, I'd sleep at night. I'd you know, be in bed back to back. and It was a difficult season. My wife was a trooper. She, she worked hard to get through the depressions and things like that. And, but it was, it was pretty ugly. I mean, we didn't, we didn't hit each other, but short of that, we didn't like each other. We didn't want to be together. Um, I, I felt very hopeless. I felt like, well, you know, maybe, maybe we're just going to have to exist together the rest of our life for the, for the sake of our kids and the sake of ministry and whatever. I said, well, God, if that's, you know, the way it has to be, and I guess it's the way it be. I, don't, I didn't want that. I was willing to do whatever it took. So my wife and her, her great wisdom, and she is she is smart. She um, went to counseling in Bedrock here in Liverpool, not too far away, district office, and began to do counseling. And it began to be a big help to her. to begin working through things in her life. So she, she asked me to go. First, I was resistant to it. And if I said, okay, I'll go. At that point, you know what? I just wanted to save my marriage. I was like, whatever it takes, I'll do it. And so we began to go together. And we were a stereotypical couple going to counseling, you know, she sat on that end of the couch. I sat on that end of the couch. Yeah. That's kind of how it started. But we began to work, do a lot of hard work. It took about a year and a half to two years, somewhere near. A lot of homework we did and working with our counselor. the finally things turned. And God did not restore our relationship. He made it better than it was before. And it was really good before. But now it's even better. Because, well, think about it. When you go through... Something like that and go through that dark dark time and you get the other side there's a love that deepens naturally it just has to wow we weathered this now I appreciate you more now than I ever did then. and that's that's the, the product of it so as hard as it was I wouldn't trade it it sounds almost masochistic but I wouldn't trade it because of what it's done in our lives so out of that season again we were 22 years in Pen Yan. Uh, about four years ago, um, we began to feel like you know, this is when things started to turn and things got better, and we began to just naturally reach out to people in the ministry. It just was very organic. They would come to us once they heard our story. Uh, we began to find opportunities to kind of share our story a little bit here and there or privately with people, whatever. So it just became very natural to help people in the ministry and talk to them and talk about their situation, what they're dealing with, whatever it might be. And, um, about two years ago now, God was speaking to both our hearts separately about doing this at a full-time capacity to walk away from the pastorate, which is something I thought I would never do. I thought I would always pastor. We love Penyan, We love the area, the people. I mean, it was just a wonderful place to be. But God was speaking to both our hearts, when we realized it. So I was able to prepare a guy to replace me at Penyan, which was wonderful, to be able to have a successor. Boy, if Penyan could see that now, they would. Pastor was dancing in church. Anyway, where was I? I lost my place. No. So God began to move both our hearts about doing this full time. And we knew it was, was time to go. And so um, I was able to have a successor in place, and he was voted in a couple weeks ago in Penyan, and I was very blessed by that, that it all worked out. He's a great guy and will do a great job there. So I was very encouraged by that. I'm not a kind of person, as a pastor, just to be able to walk away and just, well, I don't care what happens, now I'm done. After 22 years, it was like, you know, God, I really want to make sure that the church is taken care of to the best of my ability, and so I felt very blessed by all that transpired there. So God began to move on our hearts, and we um, began to seek the Lord about it. And uh, in my devotional time, God put on my heart, <coughs> out of the book of Isaiah. Um, God kept telling these people, you're called by name, called by name, called by name. And it just kept resounding in my mind that, you know, we in the ministry were called by name, even though a lot of times, and I'm going to talk about this more in a minute as I get into my message, the nature of the ministry is very isolating by nature. It just is, and I'll explain that more in a minute. But um, sometimes we forget that it's not a random thing to happen. God's called us specifically to do what he's called us to do. And sometimes we get, we, it gets lost. You know, We get, we get in the, the throes of our difficulties and our pains and our, our depressions and our marital difficulties, our ministry difficulties. We forget we're still called by name, and God still has a call on us. And, and uh, we just need somebody to come alongside of us and love on us through the difficult season. And so that's why our ministry is called by name. That's where that comes from, out of, out of Isaiah. These are our brochures. We have some on the table as you go out today. I'm a little short on the pledge cards. I'm sorry. I thought I had more, but I... But uh, we, can, on the back of our, pl- our brochure is our contact information, our email, my phone number, that kind of stuff. And uh, what we're really in desperate need of is monthly support at this point. And you church has done that, stepped up. We appreciate that very, very much um, that you guys would support us. All, we are network approved, as was mentioned. Uh, so we are approved through, here, through New York Ministry Network. All our monies are channeled through them, and they come. Come to us once a month through the monthly pledges so if you're interested to know more you can talk to me at the table afterwards i'll be glad to, to talk to you about that and uh, i'm also uh, becoming a chaplain on a national level i finished my interview for that so that's in the works as well, as well and um, to be recognized in that capacity imagine if you will you're a pastor a youth pastor in a, in a thriving church a growing church Got a new building. Got a great pastor who's a real people gatherer. And um, on a Wednesday night, he's up leading worship. and In the middle of worship, he has a heart attack. He makes it halfway down the aisle and he dies. Now everything is on your shoulders. You've got to lead the church from there. Granted, not by yourself, of course, but still, you're the guy. You're What do you do? Who do you talk to? Who do you who do you run this by? And imagine you're another another young couple ministering in a small community in New York, which is a lot of them, a lot of isolated small communities. And you find yourself doing everything you know to do to try and grow a church and turn a church around, and and um, it seems to be thwarted at every turn, and things begin to take a toll on your marriage. You know, you're your husband has to the husband has to take a, a secular job to make men ends meet and you begin to feel the stresses and the strains. It begins to weigh on your marriage. Who do you reach out to? My wife just this morning got an email from a pastor's wife. We met with her and her husband oh, about a week ago or so. Spent three hours with them, just loving on them. And about two hours in, it's pretty cool. She said, the pastor's wife said, you know, maybe we should get going. Maybe you guys got other things to do. And, and we looked across the table at him. My wife said, no, you're our agenda today. She was like, really? She said, wow, it's nice to be somebody else's agenda for once. And we sat for another hour and just loved on him. She just got a text from her this morning, just still... Stuff's not good. They're, they're in a place of strain and difficulty. She's let my wife know how much she appreciates her. I'm so glad she's in her life. Who gives care to the caregivers? Who helps the helpers? That's what this is all about for us, is to help those people who are the givers. Here's a, a deeply spiritual song. It's not a religious song. I think it kind of speaks to the heart of who we are and what we want to do and what God's gifted us to do, I believe. Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain, we all have sorrow, but if we are wise, we know there's always tomorrow. Lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend, I'll help you carry on, for it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. Please swallow your pride if I have things you need to borrow, for no one can fill those of your needs that you won't let show. Lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend, I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. Just call on me, brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem, you'll understand. We all need somebody to lean on. Lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. Just call on me, brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem, you understand. We all need somebody to lean on. If there is a load you have to bear that you can't carry, I'm right up the road, I'll share your load if you just call me. Call me if you need a friend. And that goes on for another 18 stanzas, call me if you need a friend. I'd play this song for you, but it's a very long song. And I don't think you want to be here that long. So I figured I'd read it to you. So today, what I want to talk to you about is what it's like being a pastor. That's my message today, being a pastor. It's a different animal, let me tell you that, being a pastor. In 22 years as a senior pastor, <coughs> I've always been amazed as to how people in congregation can act towards their pastor, treat in ways they probably wouldn't treat anyone else. And I don't mean necessarily harshly, although that does happen sometimes, but not even necessarily that, but just like we're not exactly human. It's just strange. Maybe, maybe we do it to ourselves to some extent, but uh, my, my, my desire today is to help you understand some things that maybe you, don't, you never thought about before. And that's so far I've been pretty successful at that. People have been coming to me as I've been sharing this and saying, you know, I never thought about that before. Well, good, that's, that's exactly what I want to accomplish. Unless you've walked in the shoes of a pastor, it's really hard to know unless somebody tells you to. And... For your pastor, for example, to share what I'm going to share today would be kind of self-serving. So I can say because I'm leaving. I don't really care what you think, per se. But for a pastor to do what it is can be tough. Like for me, when I was back in Pennsylvania, it had been tough for me to share this. So, so trust me when I say no one, no one knows what it's like to be a pastor except those who have been or are pastors. So I've been a congregant. I've sat where well, you are. You know, I've sat under pastors. Matter of fact, I had a chance to see my, my uh, childhood pastor uh, a few weeks ago. I hadn't seen him in years, and he was preaching at Geneva Sunday God, and I happened to have that Sunday free, and so my wife and I went, went to hear him. It was, it was awesome. So I've been a congregant. I've sat where you've sat. I've been an assistant pastor, a youth pastor, where I've you know, been the, the second, if you will, and I, my job was to make the pastor look good, and I, I did that to the best of my ability. And, of course, I've been a senior pastor for 22 years. I remember uh, towards the end of my time as an assistant pastor, you know, watching the pastor, watching what he did and all those things and thinking, well, I want to do that. I want to be the guy that calls the shots and makes all the decisions, you know. That's what I was thinking in my head. And then I became a, a head pastor, and I was thinking, what did I do? What a dummy. But uh, it's, a different, it's a different thing once you're the, you're the person that's in that role. Uh, so when you're, when you're not, if, if you're not called to be a pastor, it's really you can't begin to appreciate what it's really like. It's really a different animal. So I want to understand a little bit what it's like being a pastor. I want to start with some stats. I'm not a big stat guy, but I think these particular ones are impactful to help you understand a little bit what it's like, the dimension of what it's like to be a pastor. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry for good each month due to burnout or contention in their churches. So that's across the board. It's not just Assembly of God. That's all gospel-preaching churches. 1,500 a month pastors leave the ministry. 80% of pastors, 84% of their spouses, are discouraged in their roles as pastors. That's almost everybody. 40% of pastors seriously considered leaving the pastorate in the past three months. That's nearly half, a little under half. For every 20 pastors who go into the ministry, only one retires from the ministry. This, this one's near and dear to my heart. 70% of pastors say they do not have a single close friend. 70%. We were ministering in church a while back, and the pastor there, a young pastor, a buddy of mine, um, I shared this, and the next day, Monday, he texted me and said, you know, I was thinking about what you shared, that 70% thing, because I realized I fall in that 70%. And I let him know, well, look, you know, just like Toy Story, you've got a friend in me. I said, I love you, man. I'm there for you. You ever need me? You know I'm here. And he has. He has called on me. He had a big decision to make a while back and he wasn't sure what to do. He called me. What do you think? And, and uh, so I gave him the best uh, information that I could and advice. And. Uh, God help make the right decision. So. Here's the last stat I think is really interesting. Um, it will help you understand what it's like, the pressures we feel. Denominational health insurance agencies report that medical costs are higher for clergy than any other professional group. So among white-collar workers, doctors, lawyers, you know, that sort of thing, pastors have the highest health costs than anybody. Interesting, isn't it? That's kind of the weight that, that we care, carry in what we do. So I share that with you, not to say that it's attributed to the people that we minister to. That wouldn't be right or fair. You know, it's not your fault. Um, certainly people are a part of it. We deal with people, we, deal, we all deal with people, right, in some capacity in our lines of work. And that can be tricky. But the nature of the call brings with it certain unique challenges like no other vocation. Ministry has the highest highs and the lowest lows. The highest high is when someone responds to the gospel and you get a chance to lead them to Christ. You see them respond. You watch God change their trajectory. There was a family back in Peniel when they first started coming. And the wife committed her life to Christ. And eventually the husband responded. And the altar he came up and asked him, what what made you come up today? I just want to give my life to Christ, he said. He gave his heart to the Lord. Changed the trajectory of that whole family. They were in verge of divorce. Now he's been an elder for years. He's a church treasurer. Um, become key people in that body that's the highest high amen but also ministry has the lowest lows people you give yourself to and they're with you for years and years and for no unexplainable reason they, they betray you coldly like, like you don't even know each other of course Jesus knows that very well right minister to Judas and so that's, that's the lowest lows for sure Scripture I'd like you to consider today is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 from the Message Bible. And it talks about our pastoral leaders. It says, Be responsive to your pastoral leaders, respond to them, what they're doing. Listen to their counsel, listen to what they're sharing with you, what your pastor's preaching, your leaders are preaching the vision they're putting forth. There's a reason they're saying what they're saying. And I know your pastor, you've got a great pastor. He's got a great team around him. They want to hear from God for this church, for this body. Listen to what they have to say. Be alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. You know, as a pastor, as leaders, we are directly responsible for God for what we've done in our leadership capacity. What have we done for our folks? Have we led them the best we can? So we're responsible for that. So know that. Contribute to the joy of their leadership, not its drudgery. Why do you want to make things harder for them? How have you tried to make things easier for the leadership in this church? Have you tried to make things easier for the leadership in this church? I'm going to open a window for you today after, again, 30 years in ministry, 22 as a senior pastor. I want to just a little window of what the nature of a call to be a pastor is like. First of all, there's the uniqueness of the call. It's not being better than anyone else in the body of Christ, but it is a unique calling as an under-shepherd. But we're all called, right, in some capacity? You, know, you all understand that? We're not called to be bumps on a log or butts in a chair. We're called to be active, part of the body of Christ. We're all called to do something. The pastor is a unique calling. Not, everybody here is probably not, not knocking down the doors to have a chance to come up here and talk, right? And talk to the crowd, right? Most of us hate the idea of being in front of crowds and talking. It's one of our biggest fears. Can I tell you something? If it was up to me, I wouldn't be doing this right now. I always said the last thing I want to do in ministry is be an itinerating preacher. Here I am. It's not natural to me. I'm a shy guy, believe it or not. But God calls you to do something, you do it. We've got to respond. So we're all called. But being a pastor is a really unique call to be an under-shepherd. And not everyone's called to be a pastor. Ephesians 4 tells us about the various lists of, he gave some to be pastors, some to be teachers, some to be apostles, and so forth. So, it's only some. Some are called to those positions. And some are called to be, you know, musicians, you know, be worship leaders. Some are called to work with children. Some are called to work with youth. Some, you know, thank God we got guys that work in a sound booth, people that do that stuff, you know, people that clean the church. You know, we're all called in some capacity. And they're all unique, and a pastor are very much so. Secondly, pastors are human too, they have pains and wounds from their past just like you do, that they're working through. None of, us, none of us have perfect parents. I didn't have perfect parents. I'm first-generation ministry. Uh, my dad had a sixth-grade education. He had to leave school to go to work to help support the family down in Pennsylvania. His father died young from uh, black lung disease. He worked in the coal mines in PA. My dad served in World War II, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm first-generation first ministry. We all have strengths and weaknesses. Every pastor's strengths and weaknesses are different. And none of us are perfect. Pedestals are only for falling off of. We need to have realistic expectations of the man or woman who stands up here. How many of you uh, remember the 80s, the 1980s when it comes to ministry? When I was in Bible school, the man, the man was Jimmy Swagger. We all wanted to be Jimmy Swagger, hold the Bible open, you know, when it was flapping like that and preaching and sweating and that was the anointing. That was we all wanted to be Jimmy Swaggart. Well, that didn't work out so good. It worked for a while, but then, you know, we realized realize pedestals are only for falling off of and all the other scandals that happened through the 80s, and we need to be realistic in our expectations of those in the ministry. I'm going to read this to you. This has been around in different forms over the years. It's called the perfect pastor. Perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. He can can condemn sin roundly but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. till midnight and is also the church janitor. Perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $30 a week to the church. He's 29 years old and has 40 years' experience. And above all, he is handsome perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers and he spends most of his time with the senior citizens he smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church he makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed the perfect pastor always has time for church council and all its committees he never misses the meeting of any church organization and is always busy evangelizing the unchurch the perfect pastor is always in the next church over if your pastor does not measure up, simply send this notice to six other churches that are tired of their pastor too. Bundle up your pastor, send them to church at the top of the list. If everyone cooperates, in one week you receive 1,643 pastors. One of them should be perfect. No. Lastly is the nature of the call. And this is, all I can do is describe this to you. It's hard to understand unless you call, but It's the nature of the call. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. He dressed in camel's hair, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Why would anybody do that? I don't like wool next to my skin. I can't imagine camel hair. Ugh. Ugh. So he had to, you know, that's what he wore. Why would he do that? Because he was called to do it. He was called to do that. I went through a season here. I'll just be transparent a little bit. Um, Over the summer, we were moving from Penyan. We left the Parsons there. We have a house to live in in Pulaski that we were blessed with uh, through our pastor friend. (coughs) So we're living in Pulaski. We're doing the move. And um, I was just, you know, there was seasons, boy. There was times, days where I was just struggling. Thoughts in my head were saying, are you out of your mind? Have you lost your mind? You need to get your head examined because we stepped away from a church where I was making decent money, you know, a, a thriving church, good people. Stepped away with no promise of anything except the place to live. And um, it, was, it, was, it was stretching. Uh, but God has been, been faithful in it. It's been amazing to watch God, God uh, meet our needs. But why, why would you do that? Because you're, you're called to do it. I know God has called to do called us to do this. We had we had to make that, that step of faith. It wouldn't have been right for me to stay somewhere. I could have stayed in Penyan and continue to, you know, be taken care of financially, whatever. But it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be fair to those people. They need to be able to move on, and we needed to do what God's called us to do. So the call to the ministry and pastoring in particular is it's isolating in nature. I know for me, like over the years, pastoring, the most Lonely time for me was after the message was done, stepping off the pulpit. And there could be people talking to me, people around me. You just felt all alone. No real reason other than that's just the nature of the call, the nature of ministry. And I learned how to navigate that and just realize it's just the way it is. Uh, being a pastor can make you feel very alone most of the time, even in the biggest of crowds. There's a term I use um, Heavy hangs the head. I'll share that in a minute. So what, do you want, what are you going to do with this little window of revelation today? That's the question. What is it that you should do with this little window of revelation today? Well, first of all, understand the call of your pastor. Appreciate the uniqueness of his call to pastor. It's unique. You know, there isn't people, you know, hundreds of thousands deep ready to become pastors. This doesn't exist. Because it's, it's, it's a very unique thing. And if you're not called to a pastor, be a pastor, and you, and you try it, forget it. You're crazy. Don't even try. Because sometimes all you have is the call. That's all you have left, and to know I'm called to do this. In some seasons, that's all you go on. To try and do it without it is just crazy. So be gracious to your pastor and his wife, considering the weight that he, he bears as overseer of your souls. As I talked about, there's a phrase, heavy hangs the head. I found out that's Shakespeare. I thought I made it up, but I guess not. Shakespeare uses one of the plays. Heavy hangs the head to wears the crown. Now, it has to do with, you know, being a king or whatever, but it's not about being royalty, but it's the fact of carrying that, you know, carrying the weight of, the, of authority, the weight of responsibility. It weighs, weighs you down. It can be heavy sometimes. And there'll be times, I remember when I was pastoring, that, Uh, I'd be walking around before service or after service, and someone would say, Pastor, are you okay? You look like there's something wrong. And I realized I was just letting the weight of everything kind of show on my face. But, oh, no, I'm okay. It's just heavy hangs the head. I'm all right. Everything's okay. So just realize that. Secondly, understand that he's human too. If you cut him, he bleeds. Cut him some slack. He cries, he hurts, your words, your attitudes and actions affect him emotionally. I can't tell you things I've said to me over the years as a pastor. and I've thought to myself, why would you think that wouldn't hurt me? I would never talk to you that way. But somehow we think pastors are different for some reason, like they're not quite human. Be an encourager at every opportunity. Listen, I know your pastor. He's an encourager. I know he encourages you. How much are you encouraging him back? See, the problem is we think, oh, well, he's the guy, right? He's God's man. He doesn't need encouragement. Listen, he's a human being. He needs your words of encouragement too. Card, a note, comment, email. We have so many opportunities now to say something nice to somebody and we don't take them. You know, people are... Really good on Facebook to, to, you know, go on and blab about something that they're irritated about. But how often do we use Facebook for a good purpose? To bless somebody, encourage somebody. Yeah, I got quiet in the room, I know. Be realistic and patient in your expectations. Just be realistic. He's a human being. Understand. You can't be everywhere at once. This is a growing, thriving church. You're about to go into a building program. God bless you. So just understand, be realistic in those expectations of your pastor. And lastly, understand the nature of the call. Just understanding it. and I, That's why I want to help you understand a little bit what it's like. Be his and his spouse's, Cindy's, friend. Be their friend. You know, he often feels very alone and misunderstood in his calling. I'm telling you. It's just the nature of it. Make a point to be a friend to him. Take him to lunch sometime or take him and his wife to dinner with no other agenda, hear me, no other agenda <clears throat> but love and appreciation. I've had people say, oh, Pastor, let me take you lunch. They take you to lunch, and then they want to chew on you about something that they're not happy about. Oh, this is a great lunch. Thanks. <laughs> I'm having lunch here while you're throwing up on me. Thank you. <laughs> no, if you've got an issue, meet with him in his office. Say, can I talk to you in your office? But a friend doesn't do that. A friend says, "Hey, I want to take you lunch. I want someone to bless you, encourage you. Thank you so much for, whatever, being a great pastor or whatever. You know, he and his wife. You know, you and your wife. Take him. He and his wife out, and just, just bless them. Thank you so much for what you've done. Blow his socks off. A couple more scriptures. I'm done. First Timothy five seventeen from the Message Bible. Give a bonus to leaders who do a good job, especially the ones who work hard at preaching and teaching." Scripture tells us, don't muzzle a working ox and a worker deserves his pay. I love the, the illustration here. An ox would be hooked up to a, a millstone and he'd walk around, and he'd, and he'd work that wheel and grind the grain and a selfish uh, owner would put a muzzle on him so he couldn't enjoy, dip his head down and eat some of the grain. But one who was wise, and laid, he, he deserves some of the, lab, you know, the uh, benefit of his labor. Let him enjoy some of it too. So same with the pastor. If he works hard teaching and preaching or any of your leadership team here, your ministry team, they work hard preaching and teaching, think about how, we, how can we bless them with a bonus. The worker deserves his pay. Lastly, Titus 3, 1 and 2. This has to do with rulers and authority, those who are in positions of authority. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, I'm reading out of the Living Bible, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. I can honestly tell you, as a pastor, the thing that was the hardest thing for me to, def- to deal with as a pastor was when the people didn't get along with each other. That drove me crazy. Because how in the world are we going to make a difference out there? You know, when we're supposed to be these people that are these loving people, to be shown the love of Jesus when we can't even get along with each other. So in what ways, <coughs> excuse me, are you doing what is good? Are you trying your best not to slander and gossip and talk about other people? To be peaceable and considerate. Go out of your way. To sow peace and and to be considerate one another, to be gentle toward everyone. That should mark us. You know what that does? It makes the job for your pastor so much easier. And it makes us the light and the salt that Jesus has called us to be. Now, normally what I would do at this point, this is kind of funny. A lot of places I've been going to, or I know most of the guys I've been preaching at the churches. They're good friends. So they have me come and then they leave. They go on vacation. So at first I'm like, should I take this personal? I don't want to hear him. You guys, you can hear him. I don't want to hear him. But now the reality is I know I've been a pastor, like I said, for a long time, so you don't trust your pulpit to just anyone, and I know your pastor. He's, he's cautious about that kind of thing, and he knows, he knows me. He knows he can trust me. And the same with the other guys that have done the same thing. I, we know them, and uh, we're in a good relationship with them. But what, what I have been doing with the ones who've hung around, I've had him and his wife come up, and then we pray for them and have the people gather around them, but Cindy and Doug are not here, but we're going to do it anyway. Even though they're not here, we're going to pray for them together. So if you would stand with me, we're just going to pray. I'm going to say a prayer for your pastor and his wife. Um, you're heading into a tumultuous season in a building program. I know. Been there, done that. I got the t-shirt. It can be really tricky. But all it means is there's, an, there's a next part to this vision that's not done yet, and that's exciting. And that's what you've got to keep looking at. There's another phase, another phase to this vision. That's why Pastor Doug is here, to see that that phase happens, because there's more people that need Jesus, amen? There's more people that need to be part of this body, this growing church body, but they don't know it yet. So you need more room. You need more opportunity. So let's pray together as we bless your pastor and his wife. Father, we just thank you. For Brother Doug and Cindy, God, and the good friends they've been over the years. I thank you, God, first of all, for the blessing on their life that's been evident over the years and all the capacities you have used, Doug, and how you've uh, blessed their family, their, their kids, their grandkids. God, we give you all the thanks that you deserve, Lord. You've been so good to them, and we recognize that, and we rejoice with them. I thank you now for this season, God. They brought them here at Grace. God, to see this church move on to the next phase of life, the next phase of vision, Lord. We pray your blessing, God, upon Doug and Cindy. God, you would give them big dreams, God. God, you'd give them wisdom. you surround them with wisdom, Lord God, and their leadership team here and and others, God, who will come alongside. God, you'd give them favor at every step of the way, Lord, as they proceed. Because, God, you've got great things in store. God, as long as this church has been here, you're not done yet. Help help this people, Lord. Help these people not to settle. That's a settle for just this. But know there's more. God, thank you. Thank you for the servants in this place. We give you thanks, give you praise. Amen, amen. So listen, when your pastor gets back, or even before he gets back, send him an email, send him a text on Facebook call him on the phone, there's so many ways I can say this right, in some way somehow, send him a card, just say you know I really love you, really appreciate you, thanks for all you do